All right, and we're on. Introducing CEO and co-founder Javid Hassan. How you doing, mate? I'm I'm doing well, Joe. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Seems like a minute since I saw you at Black Cat. Yeah, it's time flies. It's crazy, man. It's December already. I've actually got uh, the shot glass here that you uh, that you gave me as a bit of swag. So I've still still got that. I've not actually used it yet, but uh, maybe I will over Christmas. Yeah, yes, it's bomb box and bomb shots. That's it. How you been? <laughs> I I've been great. The company has been on a roll. So you know, exciting times. Like you said, time passed quickly. Yeah. Mm. So so many many things going on. So happy to talk about about the company as well as me. Yeah, amazing. Well, look, with all, all my guests, Javid, I take it right back to, to where it all began and sort of how you got into the industry. And I know you've got a lengthy career. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's been a while. So I've been in the cybersecurity industry for about 25 years, you know, and and it, it's, it's a strange story on how I got into, into security is I was working in a company called Oracle, which is, you know, a, a big one. And we built the Oracle's first uh, stat service. And this was back in 2001 and 2003. And uh, it was time for me to leave Oracle, right? It, 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 right. And so as I was looking around, there was a company called Semantic and they had this product line called Norton and they owned about 90% of the consumer security market. And one of the things they wanted to do was to effectively convert a retail product into a SaaS service. So they hired me to do that. So we, and it was phenomenal, right? We went from about, I think, 350 million of retail product to 1.1 billion in about four years. So, so it's a very dramatic growth, right? So that's how we got into it in the, through the consumer SaaS way. And then sort of got very deep into the technology, spent more time on the enterprise side after that because my roots were in enterprise. So both at, at Semantic, and then I did a very strange thing, which is I went from Semantic to McAfee and then McAfee to Semantic and then from Semantic back to McAfee. And so they were, I was lucky enough that they all wanted me back. And so, you know, over that time, I ran all product management for Semantic. I ran the endpoint uh, product management group for, for McAfee. Recently, I was responsible for helping put together McAfee and FireEye into two new companies. One is called Trellix and one is called Sky High Security. So I own the overall strategy and the techno, you know, the technologies and the strategy for, for for the for the for the joint companies. And then as uh, we were creating those companies, I thought, you know, I've I've done jobs for 25 years, live in the Bay Area. What is the Bay Area known for? Startups. And so it's sort of a sort of almost cruel not to do a startup uh, in the Bay while living in the Bay Area. And this idea of a software supply chain came up. And one of the things that we discovered as we were doing the analysis and actually I was doing it for Trellix, uh, as should it be one of the pillars for Trellix or not? And finally we decided it should not be. And the primary thing that we found was the supply chain attacks had been around for 25 years or so. And this, you know, if you sort of look at it. And no supply chain attack has ever been prevented, detected and prevented by an existing security company. So we sort of cybersecurity comes. So we looked at it and said, why is that the case? Yeah, why is that? And so and there and then we determined essentially that no company would ever detect those unless they focused on it. And hence the idea of lineage was born. Love that. Who did you um, sit down with? Who who are your co-founders and who are the founding team at Lineage? My co-founder, I have one co-founder. He's a brilliant 
guy. I am the pretty face. He's the brains. Uh, he's, he's the CTO, co-founder and CTO of the company. Uh, he was uh, the chief architect and fellow of McAfee slash Trellix. Yeah. And uh, spent 25 years there. Knows every security technology inside out, can solve very deep problems. He seemed like, and we had worked together for 15 years. You know, So I met him in my first stint at McAfee. He was the architect and consumer who used to sit outside my room. So, you know, I was running product management for for, 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 for consumer at the time, McAfee consumer. And so he would, so I would call him in and we would, he would tell, explain everything on how everything worked to me. So we became, we became friends and we've been friends for 15 years or, or more. And when we started the company, there was no better person to work with than him. Yeah. Awesome. Because I read that you've actually, is it over 50 products that you've sort of taken for the full life cycle? Yes, I mean it's been it's been it's been an amazing ride. I mean, so yeah. more than fifty products from start to start. Not only that, we were just counting the revenue being created by our product that we created. You know, me and Arnold today. So annually, we generate more than four billion in cybersecurity revenues through the products we have created. So you know, it's it's a good legacy. Yeah, is that um is that why? So I saw Tenable. You were one of Tenable's first um, Tenable Ventures first. Uh, Fundraising. Yeah, I mean, for first, first, yeah. So, so Tenable Ventures, you know, one clearly we 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 know them well. They loved what we were doing, their technologies, and they, you know, they have tremendous faith. They have huge amount of faith in what we are doing, and and trust. And I don't think we could have asked for better investors. So Tenable has been, you know, has been amazing for us. You yeah. know, and there's this guy called Matt Olton who's the head of Tenable Ventures, right? I mean. We, we met him, we, we gave him a little bit of a briefing and his reaction to that was, I would love to invest. And he's, you know, so if he's, he's trusted us and we have trusted him from day one, from our first meeting. Yeah, yeah. I was reading up that, is it 70% of software is open source or third party now? Is that about right? Yes. And, and you know, that I've seen that change, right? So when I started, I mean, I keep going back to 25 years ago, I mean, I would say less than 10% was open source. Yeah. But now yeah. it's like 70, we are even seeing products that are 99% open source. It's shocking. Crazy, yeah. And, and see, the, see the interesting thing about, about that is that if you think of now, more software is now built outside a company that's building software products than inside. So if 70 to 80% of your software is open source, that's where the action of software building is. The 20 to 30% that your company is building is by and large glue for the open source so you can put it all together and then some of the core ip that does not exist in, in open source so you so high innovation and glue really mm -hmm. is what is being built in software companies but the software supply chain is is all coming in from 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 open source by and large right so the world has changed dramatically and which is one of the reasons why you can't detect supply chain attacks because the tampering may happen in open source that you just ingest. You don't know enough about it. You don't know when it is tampered. You don't have enough visibility. So, so open source is by and large opaque. And the interesting thing about open source is that very much like normal software is built, let's say 70% out of open source. Every open source component you pick is also made up say 70 to 80% of other open source. Yeah. And then that you pick right is also made 70 to 80 percent from other open source so this supply chain goes you know let, 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 let's say you know 30 levels deep or so right now so it's you know and so there's a lot of opportunity to change code tamper and so on and so forth 
in, in the supply. What's caused the increase in innovation? Money. Is it? Yeah. It probably, I mean, again, I mean, if you can innovate at a lower cost, why wouldn't you? Mm. And again, I mean, like all of us, right? I mean, if something already exists, it's no fun recreating it. So software developers, by definition, will say, oh, that already exists. Let me focus on the stuff that doesn't exist. And so if you can easily take it from open source, it's there, it's free, might as well. Now, I mean, the, the dirty secret that we found, and we just announced a couple of partnerships there, I'll, we'll get into it, is that open source developers are amazing innovators and terrible maintainers of software, as you would expect, right? All of us want to do the shiny new thing. Why are you doing open source? To build amazing new stuff, right? You're not there really to fix bugs and so on and so forth, right? I mean, so maintaining open source has become a huge problem, mm. right? That's where all, if you sort of think about vulnerabilities, risks and all of that coming through open source, it's not, the innovation is startling and amazing. The maintenance, not so good. And so as you sort of start peeling that onion, you sort of say 30 levels deep supply chain, and by and large, you can divide it relatively easily into what part is maintained and what part is unmaintained. And so, and, yeah. and, then, like, and therein, therein lies the, the business problem of the software supply chain. Yeah, absolutely. So when do, when, when the lineage come in, then when do we sort of hear from you guys? So, so we, we, we started last year. So in March, so we are a relatively young company, right? You know, we are about 18 months old. So we we raised, released our first product called SPOM 360. And that has this uh, by 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 December. And so we, you know, we publicly, publicly announced it in January of, of, of this year, of 2023. And uh, uh, we, could, we, we could essentially decipher the full software supply chain, check the, what we call the integrity of it which means that is it tampered or untampered. And so if you have a supply chain tamper, we're the only company in the world that can actually detect it. And then finally, we can also, we collect so much information about every component that we can now give you the risk of your entire supply chain, not just the components you built within a piece of software. So that was where we started. And then we have been on this role. So we launched a new product called Inform 360 Hub. What we discovered was, hmm, so now, if you can create a software bill of material as is legally required in, in some cases, right? What do you do with it? And because software changes quickly, you could have tens or hundreds of S-forms of software you're building. So now you get, and if you are a buyer of software, you may have a hundred vendors who will give you a hundred S-forms. And because software changes quickly, let's say they may each give you an update once a month. So that's 12 times hundred, right? So that's 1200 S-forms. How do you know? And these are not right, like fiction, one-page fiction that you can actually read. These are 500-page uh, XML documents. Right? So you don't, is there no fun reading it? And it's yeah. hard to understand them. So we built the industry's first SBOM manager. So, so whether you are a buyer of software or a builder of software or a user of software, you can put all your SBOMs into the SBOM manager. Of course, we create those as well. And then you, you can analyze them with your policy. So you, and you can search them. You can do all kinds of things with them that you would want to do. So new vulnerability comes out, search all your bombs in seconds and see where all it is, whether in your vendor software, in your own software and so on. These are tough problems that we can now solve. And so SBOM 360 Hub became this, this center where 
software publishers can publish their response and securely and privately share it with their customers, actually thousands of customers if they have those. So, so a business process built at scale. And then software consumers can ingest SWOMs from their suppliers and assess them, apply policies, see if they meet the security, you know, or, or their, their policy, security policies or not, and then drive improvements by interacting with, with, the, with the software publishers. So the hub became an interesting product. In fact, 60% of our pipeline now is coming from the hub, which is an interesting change mm -hmm. from the core S1360. And I'll continue a little bit more. So recently, like I said, the supply chain essentially is open source. Mm -hmm. So one of the big, like I said, an open source, highly innovative, badly maintained. So what do you do? So now you have consumed open source, 70% of your software is open source. Half of that is badly maintained. Half of it is well maintained. If it's badly maintained, which is half, what do you do? You can't, your developers didn't write that code. They can't go fix it. So we just launched a service, a managed service, along with a company called Persistent Systems, which is the world's first open source maintenance service. The, the, the basic idea is that we take our, took our technology of detection, we have invested relatively heavily, as you know, and we were sharing that at Black Hat. Yeah. Was something we call bomb bots. So you know that, 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 nice. that little shot class we have. Yeah, That's yeah. a linear AI. And what it is, it can help do it not just helps find issues in open source, it can actually help remediate open source. Okay. So, so fix, fix issues, fix vulnerabilities, fix issues, stuff that is not fixed. So we took Lineage AI and that, and we essentially put it together with a bunch of uh, software maintenance from persistent systems, who are one of the largest software outsourcers in the world. And we basically put together a managed service, we, and we call it open source hub, so that all your open source, we will divide it into good and bad open source, if you will think of it. And then we fix the bad open source according to an SLA mm. so that you're, or you can get what, we, what, I'm going, what I'm calling green open source from one place, which is fixed and so on. So that's the new innovation that we just launched uh, on November 20th, 2023. So we are very excited about that. Yeah, amazing. So although you do see recommendations, then remediations, what about the, the stuff that's like, not fixable how do you so there's a lot of stuff that is like not fixable mm. for example 56 percent of all vulnerabilities in open source are never fixed right they like so 44 percent are fixed and you have patches and so on right and 56 percent are not fixed so what we did that's exactly what we did with the open source hub is we got we, we am given an open source open source package that, that a company may be using. And let's say it has 10 vulnerabilities and 15 code quality issues. We have real engineers fix it, test it, using it. And we, the technology, the AI technology accelerates that by about 40% right now. So saves about 40% of the effort. We think that will continue to go up as AI improves, our AI improves, another AI improves and so on and so forth. But ultimately what we do deliver is we assign it to those developers, they fix it and we deliver it back to the company as a better open source. What about, so you, you said something to me off, off air, which was software not built, not built securely or not run securely, which I found really interesting. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, right? I mean, we buy a car 
we know that a car that is not built well will not run well. I mean, it's pretty pretty straightforward, right? So, but in software, we in the cybersecurity industry have been part of it, have put all our investments in securing software after the fact. We have never looked at how well a software is built to know how secure will it run. So when we got into the supply chain business, it was very clear that a really badly written software with all kinds of bad open source in it, there's absolutely nothing you can do in runtime to secure it. But if you knew it was bad, you'd run it very differently, right? So the idea that, for, so with the software supply chain analysis that we do, we can now figure out how well a software is built, how messy is it, how good is it. And we can say this product is really built well, and this one is built bad. So the fundamental idea that, oh, you know, so we, we think this, and we think this is a big change in the security industry, that ultimately how well a software is built has a huge implication in how it is secured. So even if it's not built badly, of course it won't run securely. In fact, CISA, one of the big bodies in the US, you know, in the last couple of months, announced two initiatives. One is called Secure by Design, and one is called Secure by Default for software. And, and they are guiding software developers to essentially build software that is secure by design. And then, of course, when it's the defaults are set such that it will run securely by default, right? So you design it securely, you default your configurations such that it will run securely. And those are two important now design phenomena that they are pushing very much in line with the with our saying, which of course came a little bit before this yeah, announced yeah. Love that. So are you um, in some enterprise environments? Is this an enterprise play, mid-market? Who, who are your sort of um, tar target customers and have you got any use cases you can share? Yeah, so I, I think the target customers here are, uh, are large enterprises, I mean, first, so from a segment perspective. And then within that, we are seeing, you know, the, the federal government, defense, the public sector, of course, right, we being the leaders in terms of adoption, are followed by product companies. So the product companies, you know, and companies that sell software to the federal government. Yeah. So they sort of see this coming down down the pipe. And so they need to get ready because they know that their software is going to be under a microscope, right? So we are sort of helping helping those. So there we are seeing a lot of traction. And then the third stuff really is much more around what I call the high regulatory environments. So like, like, like uh, you know, healthcare, you know, FDA mandated that all devices should have known as forms yeah. and, and then device manufacturers should publish it, right? So on and so forth. So I think the the money is following the regulation. And so financials, healthcare, uh, automotive. So we're seeing a lot of traction in those. In those. Talking about regulations, obviously the executive order was earlier this year that came out. And I know there's a few others bubbling and in the pipeline. How important and why, why was people so reluctant to, to sort of go underneath the hood? Is it because they know how what's going on? So, I mean, one is reluctance and, and, and one is, so one is, there was a lot of assumptions that, you know, open source is fine. And in fact, there was this whole theory that because open source is built by many developers from different countries and organizations and so on and so forth, it has more eyes on it. So it is by definition, by definition, more secure. That, it, that was just not, that is just not true, right? I mean, like I said, 
open source are innovators, not maintainers. Right? The, the second part of this simply is that, you know, I've been in software development, forget, right, for about 25 years. And software developer development environments are very good in managing people and managing processes. But software companies and software developers have not done a good job of managing the raw material that goes through those software factories. So if you think of, of any factory, right, you're managing people, you're managing machines and processes, and then you, you manage what we call the raw material, the supply chain. Software companies have actually not done a good job of managing the software supply chain. So I think that's just been how the industry has grown up. So the, we see huge opportunities in essentially taking the supply chain and converting it into how you manage your software raw materials in one place centrally, hold it to a certain quality, manage your suppliers, so on and so forth. So it's just both culture and uh, an assumption that open source is great. And lastly, it's so much faster to build on top by to leverage open source and deliver innovation fast with, with open source that build it from scratch and take two more years. Mm. And the, an industry that provides that sort of prides itself and wins on innovation, open source is a godsend. You know, so so we oh. expect that open source adoption will continue to increase. Yeah. With regards to bomb bots, how when you recommend uh, recommend them remediate, how um how quickly are you sort of providing that that information back? So so let, let, let me. Let me give you a, let's take a use case, mm. right? So let's say we have a piece of software with has a thousand components, right? And we find vulnerabilities and code quality issues and security posture issues and fit in 15 of them. Now, and for those 15 components, you are on version one, let's say of each one of them and 10 versions have come out since you, you started. Right. And so you're 10 versions behind in each. So if you sort of think of that problem, now do you go from version one to version seven or version one to version 10 in each one of them? That's a problem. Right. How do you decide? So today the state of the art is go to the latest version because that's the most secure one. So that's the easy way out. The problem is if you change the component uh, from version one to version 10, how do you know that the version 10 of this new or the new component? now works well with the other 999 components. In fact, you don't. So what happens is, is that we break compatibility. So as we do those updates and upgrades, we break compatibility with the rest of the components relatively quickly, right? And that is a, by itself about a 40% overhead on okay. software developers who are right? So it's a very expensive thing to do and it's a very dumb thing to do. Mm. So what a bomb bot will do is in about five minutes, so, so now this are not this is not humanly possible to deal with all the combinations that we're talking about. So it becomes a hit and trial in most cases today. So with bomb bots, we can look at the 15 components, tell you that 10 of those, if you go to for this one, go to version this, this for this one, go to version that. It is compatible with the rest of your software. And five will automatically break, will have will have to break compatibility. So, so we can now help you plan better by saying take the 10. Do a quick and you know do a quick update on those compatibility things. Those are quick things. You can probably get them done in a week. For these five, put them together, do them once. You know compatible compatibility will break. So test for compatibility once for all the five together. So in a sense, we are sort of what we are doing here is we're bringing the art, a long lost art of what we call software planning and version planning, back into software. 
Yeah. Of course, we used to do it with the agile method and so on, where we just automatically assign work to individual developers and expect they will do it every day. And there's no by and large version planning, right? There's just work planning. So bombots bring, so that's one of the things. Like bombots are also smart enough to detect that which ones of these vulnerabilities have actually been fixed with patches, which ones have not. So like I mentioned, 56% are not. We know which ones have not been fixed. So now the workflow for those that have not been fixed, of course, is different than those that have been fixed that, have, that can just be patched. So we manage all of that. So bombots are smart planners that all work together to create the best optimized path for software developers. Yeah, and then of course the software developers are smart enough to, 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 to do the rest. What's the, what's the future? What's the future for Lineage? The, uh, the future is exciting. We, we are seeing amazing traction. And we think, you know, as we, the fundamental problem that the industry now is in the middle of, that we think Lineage will solve, is that more software is built outside the organization than inside. And that's true for every company. And if that's true and remains true, which we think it will, how do you fix software that you sourced but did not build? And that's true for software buyers. That's true for, soft, you know, for software developers. That's true for software sellers. And so we think the large problem to be solved, and we think it's a multi-billion market, is can you fix open source before companies consume it? And where does the money for that come from? And we think there's enough money in it for us to solve that problem. Love that. Well, I wish you all the best of success, my man. And uh, I'm sure I'll see you at the next conference and we can absolutely raise one of these. Yeah, we, we, we will and, and, and look forward to it. Thank you so much. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's show, please like and share with your friends and colleagues as this is really important for the show's reach. If you'd like to be our next guest or are interested in Aspron Search's staffing solutions, please get in touch directly with me or reach out to us via our website, www.aspronsearch.com.